0: Welcome to the Hedgemaker broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word.
1: All right, we're talking about new things. Tonight our subject is a new cart. We'll begin looking here at 1 Samuel chapter number 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6, let me give you the background. There's actually two stories that we'll look at. The first one here we'll do as introduction, and then we'll get into the second story about the new cart. So 1 Samuel chapter number 6. If you were to go back to chapter 4, we find the children of Israel battling against the Philistines. The Philistines were not the only enemy, that Israel had, but they were a primary enemy of the nation of Israel, and they were in battle with him in chapter number 4, and they decided they were losing the battle, said they decided let's take the ark with us into battle. I didn't really research that, but just off the top of my head I'm thinking that's not where the ark belongs, because the ark was supposed to be a source of worship, but they, I think, this is my thought they had a superstitious idea that if they could get God's Ark into the battle, that they would win the battle, and that did not happen. In fact, the Philistines captured the Ark. And so in chapter 5, the Ark is sent from one Philistine city to another, and uh, it just caused all sorts of trouble to the Philistine people. So in chapter 6, they're deciding what to do about it. First Samuel chapter number 6, verse number 1, And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to its place. And they said, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, Then ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then said they, What shall the trespass offering be, which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden emeralds, five golden mice, and according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, there were five major Philistine cities, and I think that's what they're referring to here, For one plague was on all and on your lords. Wherefore, ye shall make images of your emeralds, and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off of you, and from off your gods, and from off your land. Wherefore, then, do ye harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened his heart, when he had wrought wonderfully among you, did they not let the people go, and they departed. So they knew the history of Israel. That's always interesting to me. People around us ought to know the history of Cornstone Baptist Church and the people of God. They ought to know that Christians have a God. Okay, That was really the whole thing. You read that throughout the Old Testament, that the world would know that there was a God in Israel. So uh, the world around us ought to know that there's a God amongst Christian people. And they'll know that by... Our testimony and by the way we live and how we ourselves honor the Lord. Now verse 7. Here's what the priests and the, the, the Philistine priests and the Philistine diviners said to do. Now therefore make a new cart and take two milk kine on which there has come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them and take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the uh, cart and put the jewels of gold which ye return him for a trespass offering in the coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. Now we're talking about new things. Every time there is a new thing, or sometimes, let me put it this way, sometimes when there's a new thing, it's not a good thing. You can be sure that when God does a new thing, and we're using that verse there in Isaiah 43, that God's going to do a new thing. When God does a new thing, you can always say, it is a good thing because everything that God does is good, right? Everything that God does is good. God doesn't do any bad things. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Not because God is a bad God. He's a good God. All right? So God is a good God. However, when mankind does something new, it may or may not be good. Some things we do are good. Some things new that we do are not good. Our subject, of course, tonight is this new cart. And we've read, as we just did, that during the ministry of Samuel the prophet, the Philistines had captured the Ark of God. While it's in their presence, the Ark gave Philistines all kinds of trouble, and so they decided to send it back to its place, is the way that it says there in chapter 6, verse 2. Send it back to Israel. And they inquired of their priests and diviners what they should be done. And they were told to make a new cart and hitch two milk cows to it, send it on its way back to Israel.
0: When the ark
1: arrived in Israel, the men of Beth Shemesh took the cart, made a fire, and offered the two milk cows in sacrifice to the Lord. The Levites, in turn, properly carried the ark onto its place. Later, we read in chapter 7 and verse number 1 that the men of Kiriath-Jarim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Let's read a couple of those verses. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jarim came, fetched up the ark of the Lord, brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. I'm not sure whether that was a proper thing to do. I'm not exactly sure who this this particular Eliezer is. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jirene, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. So it abode there for twenty years until the time of David. And all the house, which story we're going to look at next, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your heart, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, the ark remained in Kiriath-Jarim for some 20 years until David's time. In the meantime, chapter 6, back up there, and verse number 19, some of the men of Beth Shemesh, where it landed at first, had touched the ark by looking inside of it. And God smote the men of Bethshemesh who had done this. Chapter 6, verse 19, and he smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and 3,010 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. I don't know if we we'll read about it here in this particular passage, but even David gets upset about that in the latter, the next uh, incident of the ark. Now, without taking a whole lot of time to do this, let's go back to two places in the earlier books of the Bible: Numbers chapter four and verse number fifteen. Numbers four fifteen and then we'll go to Exodus chapter 25, Numbers 4:15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath, in the tabernacle of the congregation. So the sons of Kohath were commissioned by the Lord to be the ones carrying the tabernacle furniture. Now go back to Exodus chapter number 25, and verses 13 and 14. Exodus 25, verse 10. This is the instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 10, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. That's a cube. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. So they're permanently put in place these staves would be like poles that went through. And so, I don't think it says it here, but instructions later on, the priests, the Levites particularly, were to carry the ark upon their shoulders. So you'd have at least four of the priests, maybe more, to carry the ark. That was the proper way to carry the ark. Let me read a quote from Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, Jewish and Christian holy scriptures dictate that the Ark of the Covenant can be carried only by Levites who constituted the ancient Jewish priestly class. They must carry the Ark by using two wooden poles inserted through the rings on its sides as touching the Ark itself would result in death at the hands of God. Now, later, during the life of David, we're going to look at this incident as a second incident, David felt the desire to bring the ark again to Jerusalem. We were reading earlier that it abode there in the place where it was for 20-some years until the time of David. You can read about David's desire, I won't take time to do it tonight, 1 Chronicles chapter number 13. In that passage of Scripture, he actually consulted with some of the people to see what should be done there because of his desire to bring the ark back to the city of Jerusalem. And when David sought to bring the ark back into its rightful place, he too put the ark upon a new cart. Let's go to 2 Samuel this time. Not 1 Samuel, but 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel is pretty much the story of Prophet Samuel and King Saul. 2 Samuel begins the ministry of David. 2 Samuel, chapter number 6. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, where it had been for 20 years, That was in Gibeah. And Uzzah, or Uzzah, how we pronounce his name, and Ahiah, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahiah went before the ark. Now, just before we go any further, we already discovered by reading Exodus chapter number 25, that this was not the way to carry the ark, not to put it on a cart. The staves were put into the rings, and the priests were to bear the ark on their shoulders. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 5, And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments. We mentioned that last night. There are different instruments played in the Bible. Okay, And made instruments made of, of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. So he put forth his hand and touched the ark. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place, Perez-Uzzah, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. There's a principle there. The ark is a picture of the presence of God. And so God blessed the house of Obed-Edom because the presence of God was there. So, by way way, practical application, what you need, what I need, is the presence of God. Now, the Bible says he's with us, right? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But we need a manifestation of the presence of God. All right? That's where we get God's blessing. Now, let's look at this second story here as David puts the ark on a new cart. What exactly did David do wrong? So we'll look at some of the failures of the new cart. First, I think what David is doing is, because we read in Exodus 25, the proper way to move the ark. David is putting the ark on a new cart. I believe what he's doing is he's adopting the ways or the methods of the world. The Philistines are not the people of God. They have no direction from God as to how to carry the ark. Now, I suppose they could have looked at the scriptures and found out, but they inquired of their priests and their men to know what to do with it. And so they said put it on a new cart and take two milk kine, and let them pull the Ark back to the Philistines. But I believe by placing the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart, David now is adopting the method utilized by the Philistines for transporting the Ark. As we read there in Exodus, the staves were in the Ark in a permanent way. They didn't have to scratch their heads and say, well, I wonder how we're supposed to carry this thing. The saves were sticking out. They knew how to carry it. They should have known how to carry it. And I believe it was a failure on David's part and David's people to not inquire of the Lord as to how to do it. And generations go by. I understand that. And sometimes a generation fails to present to the next generation as to how the things of God are supposed to work. Shame on us for doing that, but the Philistine way was the way of the world and not the way of God. There's often a clear distinction from the way of the world and the way of God. Sometimes we can't see that line. You and I need to exercise discernment to know the differences. That's why we need to be students of the Word of God, so we know God's ways. How does God want something done? Some things are not as clear. Now, I know you and I look at this, and we look at these Old Testament stories and say, we say, well, what's the difference how you carry the ark? We can look at the modern day. What's the difference? What difference does it make if you're baptized by immersion, plunging under the water completely, or if you're quote-unquote baptized, it's not baptism, by sprinkling or pouring? When I was in the Mennonite Church, that's what I thought. I said, well, the Mennonite Church had in their doctrinal statement that it would be by whatever way the member would... Prefer so oh, I, got, I can live with that, I thought. And when evangelists come, evangelists preach, folks got saved. I said, I've got to get these folks baptized. I get them baptized, i got to get them wet. I knew what the Bible said, but I thought I could live with that until I went to try to do it. I said, I've got to do what the Bible says. And I had a young whippersnapper of a Bible college student from App- Appalachian Bible College, he simply said, you know that word baptizo means to dip, to plunge under. I said, yeah, I know that. And it's like the Lord said, duh. What difference does it make? Well, it's the method that God says to do it. That's why. Does it make any difference? No, in our thinking, no, but we're not God. Why did God say, I want you to carry the ark via these staves? You know, you and I would think that the cart would be an improvement upon a way of doing I mean, we could take away the work of four men, at least, and uh, put the ark on a cart and make it easier. Well, there's some ways we can make God's work easier, but it may not be God's way. We need to think about that. We need to be discerning about that. So I think the first thing that David is doing wrong is adopting the ways and the methods of the world. Just because it seems to work for the world does not mean it should work for us. We need to do things God's way. In so doing, number two, David is also rejecting God the way of God. By placing the ark on a cart, David rejected the prescribed method for transporting the ark. Again, we understand that these days were there and they were in a permanent situation, so there should be no ignorance as to how to carry the ark. And of course, they could look it up as well because God gave the instructions. So ignorance was not an acceptable argument for doing things our own way. There are many times in our lives when we can plead ignorance we don't know you've perhaps come into your experience as a Christian well I didn't know what the Bible that the Bible said that. you know when I was in Bible college, I was not really taught much about biblical separation, and when I began to see some of it, I said, "Well, you know I need to do what the Bible says, whether I was taught it or not, but I could plead ignorance that well I didn't know but God still holds me accountable. I'm not going to look through this either, but there's a number of scriptures that we could look at regarding what the Bible calls sins of ignorance. You know, if you read through that, you're not excused because you don't know. You're still guilty. If you get stopped by the policeman and he says, you were doing 55 in a 25 mile zone, you could say, well, I didn't know. Should have known because the sign's there, but you could plead ignorance. I didn't know. What's he probably going to say? Doesn't matter. He may or may not give you a ticket, but he has every right to because you're violating the law. So ignorance is not an answer. Same thing with Christian experience. Ignorance is not an answer to and a reason for rejecting God and God's way. Now also, kind of alluded to it already, The third thing I think that David does wrong, he tried to improve on the ways of God. Again, to our modern way of thinking, placing that ark on a cart would be an advancement in technology. The cart would feasibly replace these four or so priests who would be needed for carrying the ark the old-fashioned way. Someone pointed out that God's method always uses people. I think that's the best way. And I thought about you folks with your lack of a piano player. It would be better if you had a piano player. But since you don't, you have a mechanism. Is it wrong to use the mechanism? No, I don't believe so. We don't have a New Testament scripture that says, thou shalt have a piano player. Okay, We do have an Old Testament scripture, basically, that's saying, thou shalt carry the ark this way. And they said, no, we're not going to do it that way. So I think we need to be careful about, yeah, maybe there's some things we can do in the ministry that will be easier because we're employing some medium of some sort and not utilizing people. But God's plan is for people to be involved. okay? As much as possible, teaching Sunday school, driving a bus, Any number of things. Praying for missionaries. Sending birthday cards to church members as well as missionaries. There's any number of things that people can do. God has designed that gifted people would do the work of the ministry. Again, nothing necessarily wrong with machinery. I use machinery all the time. I don't know how the old timers preach without a computer. I have a Bible program that I use on my computer. I just recently got rid of most of my books because I'm not preaching on a regular basis. And so I said everything I need, I can probably find in that Bible program or online, so long as I have internet connection. And so I got rid of my books. But in a sense, the books were my tools. Okay? Now I have an electronic device instead. Is that wrong? No, I don't think so. But I think we need to be careful of that. In our present church age, God's means, God's methodology, I believe, is the local church. We cannot improve upon the concept and the pattern of the New Testament local church. Now, there have been many churches, denominations, organizations, and whatnot that have tried to do that. There is not a Bible college there's not a mission board, there's not a radio station, there's not a synod, not a council, not even a group of churches that is better than the local church. This local church right here, Cornerstone Baptist Church, is the greatest thing in the world. You've got to get that in your head. got to get that in your heart. We think, oh, if we could just work together with other churches. Nothing wrong with working together with other churches. If we would just have a larger congregation, little as much when God is in it. God's plan is still the local church to do everything that needs to be done in this day and age. The local church, that's it. We can't improve upon that pattern. Yes, we can grow larger and assumedly... When we grow larger, we have more ministries. We have more people doing the work of the ministry. But as small as this group might be, this group can reach the world for Christ. We can. God doesn't put a premium on largeness, bigness. Look at the example of David and Goliath. Who was the bigger one? Goliath. Who was smaller? David. Who had the bigger God? David. Who did the more for God? Not giant Goliath. Being big does not make you right with God. Being small doesn't make you right with God. Being right with God makes you right with God. All right, Small or large. All right, But God is still involved in the local church. And I believe when God created the local church, the plan, the pattern... And the practice was flawless. We do not need to discover a better vehicle for doing modern ministry. I think we have it. We already have it. We just need to work it. Now, that being said, we can improve upon the character of the church. This church could be a better church. Even though it's the greatest thing in God's economy, this church, any church, could be a better church. We must constantly be rooting out sin in the church. God's mandate for preaching must still remain a priority. But the preacher can improve, always improve upon his preaching. We can all improve upon our Sunday school teaching, our ministry, whatever ministry you have. And you ought to have a ministry, by the way, of some sort or another in this church. You have not just come and sit and occupy the pew Give your tithes and offerings and go home. You ought to have some ministry as an outreach of this church, doing something for Christ. Don't know what to do? Ask your pastor. I'm sure he has lots of ideas. Those who minister can always find room for improvement. A fourth thing that I believe David does here, he disrespects the authority of God by doing it his way instead of God's way. David has a disrespect for the authority of God. He should have known, and I'm not going to excuse him if he did not know or didn't know, but any time that you and I question the revealed will of God, we are also disrespecting God's authority. I don't know how many people I've talked to about any number of things and they say, yeah, preacher, I know the Bible says that, but you know when we're, what we're saying when we say that? We're disrespecting God's authority. God has it right. There is no way to improve upon God's way. When the Bible says this is the way we ought to do it, this is the way we ought to do it. No questions. Again, there are many things that are not specifically given for us in the Word of God, and we need to pray, and we need to ask what the Lord wants us to do. But I think those are some of the things that David was doing.
0: This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.